have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of Galatians. We're finishing up chapter 5, getting into chapter 6 today. Paul's getting very practical with the Galatians. It's, uh, it's time to get practical with them after spending so much time talking about that you're not justified to God by your actions, by your works, but your faith bears out uh, those works and those works produce, uh, faith produces those works. So uh, like I've said many times, Galatians is a book to a group of churches in Galatia, modern day Turkey, to correct a false teaching that you had to be circumcised, you had to follow the Jewish laws to be a believer in Christ, to be a complete believer. They still believe that Christ saves, but they didn't believe that he alone saves. And so he's correcting that. We're going to cross between two chapters in your Bible, and I, I, I like to explain this every time we come across something like this. The chapter and verse numbers that are in your Bible were man-made. They were man-created centuries ago to help us find things in the Bible, but they don't necessarily always match a complete thought of a passage. And so many uh, commentators and many uh, scholars that I read and study, sometimes they'll cross over a chapter as a, and, and use the next passages as a complete thought. So that's why we're going from chapter 5, verse 24 through chapter 6, verse 5, because it just completes the thought that Paul's having here. So, you know, Paul knows that they are, this group of people are susceptible to works-based salvation. But what he's going to do in this passage is he's going to give them a, a faith-based works to do, the hard stuff, the things that we need to do for others in Christ. And it's some pretty serious things. So let's look at this together. I'm going to read this once through and then we'll talk about it. Starting with verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters... If someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage because it tells us one major truth is that we have to humbly help each other walk this walk. So show us, Father, what we can do, what we can change, how we can modify our actions, our thoughts, our mindset to live in step with the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, most of the trouble I've gotten into in my life, most of the real sin that I've committed in my life is usually due to my pride. Usually my pride gets me into hot water, gets me in trouble. Um, I either thought I knew better than someone else, or I thought, my parents especially, or I thought I knew better than God. I do not know better than my parents. My parents knew better, so I'll set that record straight right here. But we need spiritual humility. That's one of the things that Paul is going to stress in this passage. And he doesn't say it necessarily outright, but it's, it's the only way any of this in this passage can be achieved. To live a content and joyful life in Christ, we need spiritual humility. 
And Paul shows us that. He's teaching that a life in Christ means a spirit-filled life that seeks mutual edification of each other and laying up treasures in heaven. We like the sound of that. We'll explain that in a minute. So in Christ, we need to understand, in Christ, the human nature, our old human nature loses its influence. And the Holy Spirit calls us to march in step with him by expressing our faith in love for others and looking for our eternal reward. So what does a crucified, spirit-led life look like? How? How can we live in such a way as to please God and love others? Well, that's what Paul's going to answer. And the Holy Spirit does this by calling us to three different humilities. Humilities that we need to express, that we need to work on. And the first one is our crucified life must not be a proud life. We must not be arrogant about it. Look at verses 24 through 26. This is the humility against conceit. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That means our sinful nature, our human nature, our desire to do evil. We have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So after Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which is back up in 20 chapter, uh, verse 22 of chapter 5, he, he now wants to go into and reiterate how the spiritual health of a, of a Christian is maintained. And he gives us really two conditions here in this passage. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, he starts it off with that. Who is that? Who are those who belong to Christ Jesus? Well, so most of us who've been around Christianity most of our life, it's pretty simple. We know that. It's those who have humbly admitted their sins they have only accepted the fact that they are a sinner and they need a savior. They've repented of their sins. They believed in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of those sins, past, present, and future. That's who those are that belong to Christ Jesus. And it makes us right with God. That's the whole goal of this, to put us back in a right relationship with God. And it starts with the fact that a, human, a believer's human nature is considered to be crucified, to be killed, to be rendered useless in Christ. Remember our memory verse, Galatians 2.20? For I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a foundational, and that's what makes this so clear. We have been crucified with Christ if we have trusted him for our salvation. And what we do right now, in this life right now, we are living by faith in him. The life we live now is a life of faith that says Christ's way is better. It knows that. It knows that Christ's way is better. It's greater. It's more beneficial to our soul. It is a life in the spirit of God. And I tried to make this point really clear a couple of sermons ago. Um, we do have the Holy Spirit living inside us. We've got to remember that. As believers, sometimes we get so caught up with trying to do what we think we should be doing, we forget we've got God Almighty living inside us through the Holy Spirit. We've got to remember that. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in those who belong to Jesus. Please don't forget that. It's how, we, it's how we can 
live this life. So that's condition one. Now those who are belong to Christ, they have accepted Christ as their Savior. They've, they've looked to Christ for forgiveness. The second condition he talks about here is living in the Spirit. And it's more than cruise control, okay? It's more than just like I'm cruising down the interstate or as, when we flew airplanes, autopilot. You didn't have to put your hands on anything. You just kind of watched it. You just let it cruise. It is not autopilot. It is not cruise control in the Spirit. It's not a walk in the park. I don't know if you've ever taken a walk in a park. It's just kind of casual. You go wherever you want to go. There's no direction unless you're trying to stay on a path. What, what the Spirit does is it calls us to keep in step with the, itself, with him. It calls us to march with him. That's a, another way to, to phrase this. To stay in line, to pay attention to our actions, what we're doing. That's in step. There's a difference between a marching band and just a band, Right? Right? I mean, anybody can be a band if they can play musical instruments, but not everybody can be in a marching band. I did that, and it's difficult to march and play at the same time, but you learn how. There's a difference between a parade going down the street and just taking a walk down the street. Well, that's the difference between living in the Spirit and just being in the Spirit as well as as much as in step with the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living in us as believers in Jesus Christ. That's walking in the Spirit. We have that. But to be in step with the Spirit means you're on cue with Him. You're walking where He's leading. You're in step with Him. You're in line with Him. I could go on all day with the metaphors, but be conscious of your actions. That's what He's calling us to do. Be conscious of where you're stepping. Be conscious of where you're walking. Constantly evaluate your behavior toward God and others. <laughs> Constantly looking to say, was that, was that the, the right thing to do? And so many things get labeled Christian these days, but I'm just saying, was that what Jesus would have done in that situation? Is that the way he would have treated somebody? We need to, we need to be doing that. Now, it's not a morbid introspection where you're always down on yourself because you, you're never doing anything right. We, we got grace to forgive us when we get out of step and to get back in step. That's the beauty of grace. You can get out of step a lot of times and you can still get back in step. This is calling for a sober awareness of our own hearts. Where are we stepping? What are we doing? And so these two conditions that Paul lists here, living by faith, a selfless life, and keeping in step with the Spirit, it's, it requires us, to, if we're going to do this, it requires us to defeat pride constantly. Verse 26 talks about the conceit there. And we're talking conceit. You can call it arrogance, high and mighty, you know, highfalutin, self-promotion, boasting, bragging, considering oneself more important than others. That's what he's talking about. And, and Solomon tells us in Proverbs, pride goes before the fall. Pride will happen and, and cause destruction. The humble can gain wisdom, Paul, uh, Solomon says. But pride will lead to destruction in this life and or the next. So watch out for the pride, and that's what Paul's getting at here. Paul warns that pride will create provoking and envying, okay? Especially in the fellowship of faith. <laughs> and it's sad. But he knows that this controversy that's been going on, there's always two sides, right? There's always two sides to a controversy. And so you had the Judaizers who were trying to get everybody to follow the Jewish law, and then you had the, the Christians that Paul was writing this letter primarily to that were either buying into it or they weren't buying into it. And those two groups, he was afraid and, and 
probably rightly so, they were going to begin to have some friction. The people, the people that weren't buying into the, Jew, the Jewish culture were going to go, see, we were right. See? <clears throat> we'll talk about that in a minute. But that's what he knew was going to happen. They were going to, there was going to be some, probably some strife there, some provoking one another and envying one another. See, believers... We need to know that humility against pride, arrogance, and conceit must be maintained to stay in step with the Spirit. The minute we get conceited, we're out of step. Oh, we're big time out of step. Believers must know that. The Holy Spirit living in you is calling you to stay in step with Him every day, all day, all the time. You remember Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple praying? And the Pharisee was standing up with his chest stuck out and the tax collector was kind of in the back wouldn't even raise his eyes who went away justified that day the tax man he's the one that left humbly accepting that he was unable to forgive himself he had no reason to be prideful in anything well that's that's what we have to remember we we're only here we're only in any kind of spiritual condition we're in because of jesus christ in John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Here it is. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he's talking to his disciples who are already part of him. This isn't, that isn't an evangelistic verse. That is a sanctification verse. That is a verse that says, you, you got to do better. So he's telling them, you can't do anything without me. Peter even echoed this in 1 Peter 5. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. We've got to be humble. Humility and conceit, they do not go together. They cannot coexist. They're opposed to one another. They can't coexist in your soul. See, humility will hem in conceit. Humility will try to keep it under control, and that's, that's a good thing. But conceit... It will destroy humility because we're so prone to it. We like it so much because we think, look what I did. We like to stick our thumbs in our suspenders and say, look what I did. But Paul wants to remind them that we always need to remember that we are nothing in God's eyes without Christ and without keeping in step with the Spirit. We're not pleasing Jesus if we're not keeping in step with the Spirit. That's what he's called us to do. And as much as, you know, this is pains me to tell you, humility is a constant daily event. <laughs> the, minute, the minute we think we're doing pretty good in humility, we're just stepped across the line into pride. I mean, it just, it's so easy. It's so, it's so second nature. We can't take pride in our humility. We can't take pride in our humility, but so many times we want to. It's a contradiction in terms. So you have to watch it constantly. See, our pride will produce strife, and we'll, it produces strife by provoking others. Look what I did. Look what you, you didn't do. It, it makes us envy because we want to stay on top. We want to keep having something to be proud of. When someone has something better, we pridefully envy it. We covet things to boost our own uh, status, and that plays into disagreements. Disagreements everywhere, especially in, 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 the, and in the disagreements, we want to win at all costs. I mean, that's, that's unfortunate, and that's a lot of times what happens in churches is somebody decides they're going to win the argument at all costs, whatever, whatever they got to do, because they want to win. But you know what? Being right is good, but how you're being right is even more important. 
It's just as important to be humble in victory or defeat. Remember that. Being humble in victory or defeat. How you're being right makes all the difference. I mean, you've heard of sore winners, right? They just keep thumbing your no their nose at you. And when we admit that we're wrong, that's probably the best medicine in the world for pride. When we admit that we're wrong, it'll cure conceit. It'll enhance It'll, it'll stop from enhancing pride when we admit that. We must be content with our station in life in Jesus. And that is the step with the Spirit. When we start looking around us for, oh, I want to do this or I want to have that, that's when we're out of step. God's put you where you are. You keep walking in step. He'll take you where he wants you to go. And admit this with me. My life is better with Jesus, no matter what. You have to say that to yourself all the time to keep yourself from looking around and envying and coveting and letting, hum letting pride get the best of you. Humility is the best path toward contentment in Christ Jesus. So, humility against conceit. That's the first section. And then Paul tells them to live in line with the Spirit, but then he tells them to, and to avoid a conceit. But he also says... Remove any spiritual superiority. The humility against spiritual elitism. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 6. Let me read it for you again. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Spiritual elitism. See, we can't do what he's telling them to do right here in verse 1. We can't do this without spiritual humility. You can't restore someone back to their faith, back to in step with the Spirit without spiritual humility. Correcting and restoring a fellow believer calls for gentleness. I can't say that clear enough. Gentleness and also an awareness of danger. Danger's there. Paul warns them of that right there. And he goes, those who are spiritual. Now, this is not another level of Christianity, okay? We don't have, you know, levels. I mean, we have maturity levels and people are more mature than others as they walk in their faith and grow. But this isn't like those who are spiritual is an elite class. That, that's not what Paul's saying here. What he is saying is that he wants Holy Spirit-led, living, and in-step believers to administer restoration. Humble, Spirit-guided believers are best suited for this task, okay? Gentleness and restoration are the key points, not harshness and condemnation. And I know that it comes across that way, and you may have been the object of that in previous life, times, and events, but what Jesus, what Jesus and Paul don't want, they don't want a bull in a china shop, okay? They don't want a self-assured Pharisee coming down on people. Because temptation is there anyway. I mean, when you, start, when you start getting the opportunity to help someone walk in their faith, trust me, pride's whispering in your ear, look what you did, look what you did. You gotta, you gotta watch it. And that's what Paul's trying to, to warn them about. 
Matter of fact, Jesus warned us about this too. He said, if you're going to help someone get a log out of their eye or a speck out of their eye, first get the log out of your eye. See the comparison there? A log versus a speck. Jesus is saying we need to be very careful when we restore someone, when we're working to correct someone and help them. Spiritually mature believers will inspect themselves before they start removing specks out of people's eyes, before they start taking on this task. Spiritually mature believers will look at themselves and evaluate themselves. It is hard. And having been in a couple of situations where I had to do this, it's, it takes a lot of prayer and patience and willingness to expose what's going on in your heart. But it's necessary. Paul elaborates this even further. He says, carry one another's burdens. Carrying burdens of others fulfills the law of Christ. Now, Paul has been talking the whole book about no law, no law, no law. But he's not talking about that same law here. It's Christ's law of love. Remember, everything is summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. So he wants them to fulfill the law, Christ's law of love by carrying each other's burdens. Any burdens we can carry. I mean, we may not be able to carry everybody's burdens in every situation. We have to be careful what we, what we agree to help do. And if we, we can't help, maybe we can find someone who can help. And this is any burden, including restoration. Including walking through people who have done egregious sins, who have done terrible things, but want to repent. They're going to need to be restored by someone walking along with them. Now, this does not make us superstars, okay? This doesn't make anyone superstars or heroes. Loving your neighbor as yourself is simply obedience, not heroics. There's no glory in it. It's never meant to be. Love is the focus always. In Christ, we love because he first loved us. So we need to correct in love. We need to carry each other's burdens in love. We need to serve each other in love. Love's got to be the focus. And I want you to notice that he says, you will fulfill the law of Christ. He's talking about that future judgment there. He's giving a, 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 an idea that someday you'll know because of the actions you've done here that you fulfilled the law of Christ. I mean, we can know that we are, we're working in that direction, but Christ's law of love is expressed by our faith and it reaps fulfillment in the end time, in the final judgment. It keeps us, this humility in this thing keeps us from these self-inflated egos of superiority and elitism. Because we are nothing without Christ. All of us were losers. All of us were lost. All of us were nothing before Jesus Christ stepped into our life. We got to remember that sometimes. That keeps you humble for sure. Now we're winners. We're found and we're valuable. But only because of Jesus Christ. Not anything we've done. Not anything that we've put in our life to make us think we've done it. See, that's humility's big dose of medicine. Seek to be humble, the humble servant of others in love, not in a spiritual elite attitude. Paul's not wanting them to do that. He does want them to restore, but he doesn't want them to do it from a, from a mindset and a motive of I'm spiritually mature or superior to you. See, those in step band members... When we talk about the band a minute ago, those in-step band members are going to help the people that are out of step get back in step. Why? Because someday you'll be out of step. 
In military formations, we had to march in. You could see when someone's out of step, I mean, with a whole big platoon or, or company marching, you can see that one person that's out of step. It's, it's just like, if you're watching from the side. So those around us try to help keep people in step. We want to keep people in step with the Spirit. Paul makes it plain in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. That's the humility that calls us to correct and restore and carry each other's burdens. It doesn't look for what we're going to get out of it. It looks for what we are giving. You know, right after that, that verse I just read out of Philippians, Paul goes into the great hymn about Jesus Christ, that he emptied himself and became a man. Talk about someone who looked after the interests of others besides his own. You know, sometimes whenever I help someone in a, in a spiritual matter, I find myself a little more tempted than I was before, either by some new sin or some old sin that kind of comes up because I get a little proud of myself. and get a little too big for my britches, as my mom would say. But we need to remember an idiom, and I, I don't know where this came from. I didn't have time to look it up. But it's a, it's a phrase that I hear often, and, I, and it echoes in my head. There but for the grace of God go I. I wish it was scripture. It's not. But it, it, it's got a good meaning to it. Whenever we help someone, we must believe that only by God's grace can we be helping. There but for the grace of God go I. I could, I could be in that situation too. I'm not anything special on my own. So we can beat back the monster of spiritual pride or elitism with a humble love and service to others and without any praise or accolade. I mean, we're not, we don't need to be looking for a pat on the back. We got one audience, and I'll talk about that in a minute. We never need to be hesitant to get our hands dirty in another person's life. You may need, you may need someone to help you someday, we need this. We need to be willing to reach out and help and encourage. You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, that's what it's about, spiritual elitism. It's about the Pharisees trying to justify who their neighbor is. So they're asking, and Jesus tells the parable, and it's like religious leaders were trying to restrict who their neighbor was. They're out of step with the Spirit when they do that. Jesus tells them to forget being hypocritically spiritual and help the helpless unburden the weary and support the weak. That's what Jesus is telling them to do. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous and Celebrate Recovery, all these programs that are designed to help people get out of the drug culture and the drug scene, they're built on the fact that no one can do this by themselves. They have people around them. They meet weekly and sometimes multiple times in the week. They have a sponsor. They have people that are helping them walk through the process of leaving that culture behind. Well, the Christian life is no different. Sin requires us to have the same support. The Christian life is just as dependent on others when lived according to the law of Christ. So I would ask today, please forgive me if I've come across to you as spiritually elite in anything I've ever said or done. It can come across and I'm not trying to be and I don't think I am, but I need the spirit every day to convict me. I need support every day, brothers and sisters, to forgive and restore me. God, grant us the humility against our pride of spiritual superiority. Forgive us for looking down on the strugglers and give us hands willing to get dirty. Amen?
So humility holds down conceit and spiritual elitism when we stop comparing ourselves to others' lives. And that's the last point. Humility against comparison. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 6. Let each person examine his own work. Then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. So Paul's warning here of one more monster that's, that's going to work at corrupting our spiritual, spiritual in-step life. And that's the monster of comparison. <laughs> oh boy. And he gives us a good way to suppress it. Now, one of the things I want you to understand in the, in the Christian Standard Bible, which is what you see up there, there's, in the Greek there's a word there when it says... Um, let me find it. He can take pride in himself. That's really supposed to be a future tense verb. He will be able to take pride or he will have boasting. So it's a future tense. And that future tense has to point to the other side in heaven. Because any boasting and pride we have down here is corrupted by sin. So there's a little translation difference there. And I, I prefer the translation that says he will have boasting uh, or instead of then he can take pride. Because pride right here is corrupted, like I said. It's got to be talking about heaven. It's got to be talking about the reward on the other side. So keep your eye on your God-given tasks and missions. Paul warns them not to measure their heavenly reward by other people's stuff. Remember, we have an audience of one, God Almighty. That's the only person we have to please, not everybody around us. We have to do what we believe is right according to Scripture to please God Almighty. He is the only one we must please and he's the one that gives us our task. He's the one that puts you where you are right now. And we're saved and we can never be fired from our job necessarily or our salvation. The boasting and the pride will be in the afterlife. The boasting in life in heaven after the final judgment of our works. And this truth relieves us of comparisons. When Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant, that's what Paul's referring to. He's pointing their eyes off of anything horizontal and everything vertical at this point. Don't worry about what's going on around you and what you're, who's right and wrong and all this stuff. Stay on task, stay on focus, keep your eyes on God, and you'll be rewarded. You'll be able to brag, if you will, in, a, in an unsinful way in heaven. I know that sounds a little weird and it's hard for us to get our heads around this, but... See, God calls each of us as believers to serve God in the places, ways, and gifts he gives. Peter says each of us should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're put where we are to do. A lot of times we get ourselves out of whack and out of step with the Spirit when we start looking somewhere else for something better, some grander scheme, some greener pasture. When we keep our eyes on Christ and our feet in step with the Spirit, we will fulfill the law of Christ wherever and whatever we do. And that is a well-lived life. That alone is God's call on our life of faith. We need to never worry about it, what others are doing, another's, another's works or another's opportunities. Stay on point on what God, where God's put you. See, Paul tells us, only let us live up to what we have already obtained in Philippians. Don't compare with others, but humbly do your part. Because there's comparison in everything. I mean, sports, wealth, career, accomplishments. Even in churches, there's comparison. Trust me, I fight this monster every week. 
Someone's church is doing this. Someone's church baptized this many. Someone's church had this kind of offering. It, it just is out there, and you can't help but see it. And it's great, and it's glorious. God's doing wonderful things in many a places. But sometimes I go, why isn't he doing it here? Well, he is doing it here. It's just not that way. He's doing it here. I just need to keep my eye on the ball. There's no place in the Christian life for comparison. And here's why. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. Someday your work is going to be obvious to everybody. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What are you building? Where are you building? What are you using? What's your materials? If it's not built on a foundation of Jesus Christ, it's on a shaky foundation. The comparison monster, has it been oppressing you? I mean, humility means we don't compare. I mean, that's one of the traits of humility. If you're humble, you don't compare. Let me tell you, that's very hard to do. God calls you to do now in this life. What he calls you to do is, is your responsibility alone. So you don't need to wish for greener pastures. God gives the spirit and his word to guide our efforts. And that's where we got to stay on track. His spirit his word guides our efforts in any situation we encounter. We serve faithfully in that, and your reward will be great. You remember the parable of the talents? Two to, two to one guy, three to another, five to another, or something like that. Several different versions of that. But even the guy who had the least amount, he buried his. But if he'd have done something with it, his master would have said, well done, my good and faithful servant. See, it's not a quantity issue. It's a quality issue. What did you do with what God gave you? As life moves on through the time, your ministry areas may change. You may be put in different areas. I never dreamed I'd be in Altamont, Illinois, ever. I never dreamed I'd be in Illinois, ever. But this is where God's put us. This is where God puts you. Be faithful in all things. Do them as unto the Lord, Paul says. Humbly discharge the duties God gives and be assured your reward in heaven will be great. Don't, don't let comparison rob your joy. That's how our joy gets robbed a lot of times. We're looking, looking around. Who's got the better car? Who's got the cooler car? Who's got the more money? Don't let comparison rob your joy. It's a monster that will kill humility. Let me sum up. Humility is the key to fulfilling the law of Christ, okay? To live in the spirit, to love others, and to meet God's expectations. That is done only through humility. And spiritual humility, it keeps us content if you really are working at it. It keeps us content and it keeps us in step with the spirit. Our biggest problems come from the loss of humility. 
Remember again, we were nothing before Christ saved us. And now we're to live and to be as if we are children of the king. Humbly. Because we didn't do anything to get there. Your life can be better with Jesus. We, we, we quoted it, we said it a while ago. When you trust him, your life will be better. And I'm not promising you wealth and health and prosperity here. That's not my gospel. Your life will be better there in the kingdom of God. And here's how. Faith believes with conviction and says, I trust you, Jesus, your death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. My soul can't save itself. Only you can, Jesus. And you believe that without reservation. You hold, don't hold anything back. You repent. You get rid of all the things that you've been clinging to to make you right with God or to make you feel fulfilled and content. You get rid of those things. You, you turn away and you follow and trust Jesus. That's how your life will be better. As hard as it sounds, it's so much joy because there's no monster of contentment or comparison going on. If you want to know how to do that, come find me after the service. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you and thank you because you have saved us and because we are in Christ and your spirit is in us, we can march in beat and in step and in line with you. Help us, Father, to see the, the, the pride and the arrogance and the conceit that, that robs us of our joy. Help us to trust you in all kinds of situations and to do what we've been assigned to do for your kingdom and your glory alone. Knowing that if we humbly accept this word planted in us and we live it out, one day we will hear those magnificent words, well done, my good and faithful servant. To you be the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing about how Jesus paid it all.